You're listening to Luxury Insider, a podcast that highlights the hottest trends and innovations in the world of luxury, hosted by Invent Lux. Hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tim Fitch, and welcome to the second episode of the Invent Lux podcast series. Uh, I'm pleased to say that the first episode, which featured Maggie Zhu, has already had over 5,500 views in the first 10 days since we published it. So I'm very pleased with that. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, COVID and the whether it had an effect or it's been a catalyst for change in the fashion sector. And to help discuss that, well, I can't discuss it on my own. So my guest today is Boaz David, who's a very good friend of Invent. So welcome to the podcast. Boaz, and can you give your give our listeners a little introduction about yourself? Hey Tim, thank you very much for having me. Um, sure. So my name is Boaz David. I've been um, in the fashion industry now for um, over 25 years. I'm originally from Israel, studied fashion design, and then in 25 years ago came to New York to kind of follow my dream, really. Um, start my own brand and, and have the fashion dreams that I was holding since I was a teenager. Um, over the last 25 years here in New York, I was lucky to work with a lot of great brands. Some of them who just started when I when I came to New York, and they're you know well known and 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 pretty good. Over the years, um, had my own brand at some point, had that experience, got it out of my system, and then I realized that. I don't really want to have my own brand. Some, by the way, that was a dream that I held since I was 15. Um, it's one of these things that when you have it, you're, something happens, you realize, oh, as a dream, it was much more fun. Um, so since then, um, I founded uh, Human Bee, which is a design development and production company. We work with uh, fashion brands, mostly uh, younger brands or starting out. And we help them execute the product. So brands come to us, designers, creative people come to us with ideas, with concepts, and we help them execute them. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm very much hands-on kind of guy. So taking concepts, ideas, and you know, working them and turning them into an actual product that somebody's wearing and using, and it's always fun for me. And I always love to talk about this as well. <laughs> Boaz, it's great to have you on today. So let's get started. So um, I suppose to get the, the discussion going, is, you know, I hinted at the start that um, I know from the discussions we've had and with, with the discussion we're having with our clients and our prospects that there's an awful lot going on in the sector, isn't there? Uh, lots of change. And you're in New York, I'm in London. Uh, we're somewhere on a similar curve in terms of the whole COVID thing. Um, hopefully on the way out of it. I know both of our kids are back, all of our children are back at school and it's it, it, the traveling into town every day seems to be not getting back to normal. But some things are never gonna go back to the way they were. Um, and I know that there's huge amounts of sort of change and innovation that's happened 
over the past 18 months or so. So I suppose really what we want to just try and unpack that and ask the question, has COVID caused the change or just catalyzed the accelerated change that was perhaps going to happen anyway? So I don't know whether you've got any opening thoughts on that. Boaz. Sure. I think it's a, I think it's a great question. Um, you know, and I'll tell you this, when, when COVID started, one of the things, one of, one of the motives that, that, that I um, adopted was that prices equal opportunities. Um, because when you look at prices in the world around, in any time, uh, not necessarily something specific, but any crisis basically shuffles everything and opens the doors, create gaps for new opportunities. Um, looking at our industry, I can tell you this. For at least 10 years, if not more, the industry was stuck in a place that didn't work very well for a lot of reasons. You know, as I mentioned earlier, when I closed my line, it was in 2008. And I looked at the industry, and until then, the main distribution way for brands was through other retailers, selling their product to retailers, and uh, the product is being sold through these retailers. And when I closed my brand, one of the things that I've realized is that model is not working anymore, especially for smaller brands, especially for um, brands that are more niche-driven, niche, niche um, that has specific products, not just, you know, not the mass market uh, brands, but the smaller brands, the ones that have something very specific to offer, found it really challenging to work this model. And I remember back then I said to my wife, if I ever go back to, the, to, the, to having my own brand, it will only be direct to customer because I think that the wholesale business, the wholesale model is, is, doesn't work anymore. Um, but that was, that was just part of it. From there, a lot of the ways that the industry was operating, so whether it's the supply chain, how manufacturers and manufacturing was working, uh, how many factors are being treated, the workers in, in, the, in the factories, how they've been treated, the attention that they get from the brand, um, sustainability, the amount of fabrics and clothes and product that we put and produce every year. And I, I will admit, to a certain degree, I was guilty of it as someone who produced products for a lot of brands. But there was a point when you looked at the industry and that really happened in the last 10 years and you realize something has to change. The way that things work, it's not gonna last. But, you know, human has this tendency to just, you know, unless it really, really affects you, we just, we just keep going. You know, we'll do the same things over and over again. And I think that's what happened in the industry. So certainly, most of us knew that something has to change. And there were little things that started to happen under the surface. There was more attention to sustainability. There was more attention to really finding technology that's going to change the way we shop, the way we produce product, 
the way we communicate in the supply chain. But all of these were sort of like a little bit here, a little bit there, um, mostly under the surface. And then COVID happened. And, you know, in a weird way, and really not to take away from the strategy that, that COVID brought into this world, but really if we just want to focus on the impact that the industry had from it, I think it was a great reset button. It's almost like something that, you know, bigger than all of us that came and say, hey, you guys don't want to take action, then the world is going to take action. Let's push this button and figure out how can we do things differently. And I think it worked because it brought a lot of the things that, for example, consumer, for the most part, didn't know as much what really happens in the production process and the supply chain and how products are being made, how employees and stores and the factories being treated, you know, the access product, whether it's raw materials or finished product that's being, you know, left in the landfill. Um, a lot of these things, the customer was not aware of. But I think that COVID brought a lot of it to the surface. All of a sudden, COVID um, made us realize that there's a big issue with manufacturing, especially from, you know, in, in, in certain countries. Because all of a sudden, we saw all these fast fashion brands or just mass production brands who stopped paying factories, stopped really supporting their factories, and a lot of the issues came to the surface. So all of a sudden, the customers was aware that something, something is, is done the wrong way. Therefore, that customer, and that is something that I can tell you now, 18 months later, um, is starting to pressure their brands to pay more attention to how products are being made, to how people are being treated in the supply chain. So that's just one example. The other part is how we shop. You know, for the longest time, a few months, if not a year almost, people couldn't just go into a store and buy their clothes. Um, they were forced to buy things online. Yes, we didn't go out as much, so we didn't maybe buy as much, but when we needed, we went online. That made brands, retailers, rethink the whole shopping experience, which was great because it gave a lot more attention to all this technology that was brewing, all these technical um, whether it's apps, whether it's uh, softwares, whether it's certain things in the, the tech space that can provide or help retailers provide a much different experience when it comes to shopping. So to answer your question, when I look at the industry, where we are today, about 18 months after COVID started, um, the reality is things have changed. It's never going to go back to what it was. But in a weird way, it's not. Anybody who's been in, the, in this industry for a while will tell you it didn't necessarily caught anybody by surprise, these changes. It was due for a long time. And COVID was just, as you, as you said, was an accelerator. It's pretty much said, hey, if you guys are not going to take action, here, look at what you're dealing with. 
and do something about it. So, you know, in a weird way, I think the fashion industry, again, not to take away from the strategy that happens in people's life, but in a weird way, I think the fashion industry has some things to give to COVID. Now, there's a, there's a very, that's a sort of a controversial thing to say. Um, I just wanted to perhaps if we could dig down a little bit sure. into, maybe we've got some specific examples. If we just go back to when you said you, you folded your, you, you closed your brand, and you had a, a wholesale type model, if I've understood that correctly. And I presume it didn't work because the margins weren't there. Yep. Is that yeah. So, so if you're yeah. a designer producer, your distribution was via shops in the in the yeah, traditional sense. So so what happened is yeah. So what happened is um, you know as a young brand, if your main um, source of distribution is to other retailers, then you basically your business is dependent on these retailers. You're dependent on them buying your product. You're depending on them to communicate and show the product the right way to the customer and selling the product. You're also depending on them to get feedback on whether the product works, what works, what doesn't, what they should do more of, what they should stay away from. Um, and from a retailer perspective, what started to happen, and especially with, you know, here in the U.S. with 2008 and the whole financial um, issue that we had, crisis that we had, retailers stopped being um, adventurous. In other words, they started to look at their bottom line and realize, you know, I need to take less risks in my business, which means I want to go and buy the brands that I know I've been selling I know my customer is going to buy. These brands are around. They're solid. I can count on them. I'm not taking any risks from them. I'll put the young designers on hold for a little bit. Or maybe I'll really just touch a little bit, not really go and dive into it. So what happens is that a lot of the small to mid-sized um, brands, and in many price points, you know, whether it's... Um, high level in, in luxury product or contemporary product um, didn't get as much attention from retailers. Retailers would just stay, see a new line and say, you know what, let's wait and see what happens with you before we're going to take a chance with you. So when I looked at this back then and, I, and experienced this as well in my brand, I've realized, you know, it doesn't really matter much. My hands are tied. Because that is the only way or the main way that I can build business. Um, but sort of around that time, what starts to happen is that online shopping started to grow. It wasn't there yet, but you could see that this is the direction that brands can start to take. It was still in, in its infancy, so building a brand-based or selling only direct to customer was still a little bit challenging. Um, but the other part with that is that smaller brands 
and, and you mentioned it, when they sell to other retailers, you know, they, they take a hit on their margin. To begin with, their production and the quantities are, quantities are small, production costs are high. So to begin with, their cost is quite high. The development cost is very high. I mean, it's something that we know very well. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. There's a big investment, something that, by the way, the consumers most times are not aware of what really goes into making a product, developing a design from scratch. So these brands that I've seen around, which I was one of them at that point, um, invest a lot into creating product. And when they sell, there's not enough meat on the bones to actually sell this. On the other hand, looking at the direct-to-customer, all of a sudden, there's a whole different view there because these brands could cut out the middleman, which is the retailers, and sell directly to customer. The choice could be, hey, I can, I can make more margins here or I can maybe sell at a more reasonable price if I want to do that, but I have more choices now to work with. You know, and it's, the other part is, and that's the part that I think is crucial, is that in a way, brands are able now to take the power back into their own hands. They're not dependent on retailers. And I guess to take that other point you mentioned earlier, Boaz, is you've got more direct feedback, haven't you? Exactly. That's another great point. You're getting the feedback direct from the, the person who's wearing the garment. Exactly. So, and it's crucial, especially as you're starting out or if you're a new brand or even relatively new brand, you know, you could be around for a couple of years, but you're really, the way for you to improve your products, the way for you to know what you should do next, what your customer wants from you, how to really address their needs, is to hear it from your customer. What would happen really with retailers is you don't necessarily get the right feedback from them. You know, retailers, they need the product to move in the first week or two when it hits the floor. If it doesn't move and they're not able to sell it, um, they look at it weirdly, okay? And when you go back and ask for feedback, which by the way, feedback, good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's good to have. You'll get some feedback, but it's not necessarily the right feedback because they might have not shown the product right. They might have not communicate the advantages of this product right to the customer. There's a lot of um, things that happens along the way there that the brand didn't have control over or don't have control over. And all they know is that the store got the product, they didn't sell it, and I don't even know why it didn't sell. Now, when they're able to go direct the customer, first of all, they're able to build a relationship with the customer. You know, they have that direct connection with the customer. They own that relationship, not the store own it, the brand own it. Um, and to your point, now they can have a dialogue with the customer, ask what works, what doesn't, what the customer wants, and so on and so on, and really able to not just grow their business, but make their, make their product fit much better for their customer, which to me is the key for a successful brand. Um, absolutely. I mean, I mean, so much so with garments and fashion, is absolutely, it's a B2C thing really, isn't it? Whereas, of course, you're saying the original model was B2B, you're, you're selling to a, 
uh, distribution outlet. And now it's much more intimate, isn't it? Sure. I mean, one of the other things you, you talked about right at the start, which is uh, really resonated with me, is this whole thing around people become much more aware about the whole supply chain and sustainability and uh, wanting the garment to be produced by people who are treated fairly. This 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 element of the which I suppose is part of the brand value now, isn't it? It it requires more openness. It requires a lot more communication about things other than what the look and the feel of the thing is. It's it's another it's another dimension of the brand, isn't it? Absolutely. So you know, one of the things about the industry that was sort of um, how it worked is that transparency was <laughs> a bad word in a way. You know. Um, Brands never really want anybody to know how they how they produce, where they produce, how much they pay, what they do. It was all everybody tried to keep everything as a secret. Um, and now, with with demand from the customer, from everything that happened uh, in the industry in in general, they are forced to change that. They are forced to really look at it and show transparency in their supply chain. A lot of it is going to come down to transparency because it's going to be the only way that the brand is going to be able to build trust with their customer. Um, the customer didn't care for it as much back then. So, you know, the brands could get away with it. But today, yes, transparency is a key word for it. And luckily there, are there is, and there's more coming out, technology that can help brand do that. So when we think about um, transparency, you know, there, there's this one thing that um, you might have heard of it. It's called greenwashing. When brands will say that they do this or that on the, you know, on the sustainable space where they might do something little here or take something that they do and just make a much bigger deal out of it for promotional um reasons and so on and so on, not necessarily that they actually devoted to it. And, you know, there's a term to it that, for it that's called greenwashing. Um, luckily today, again, it, it's in the brand's hands, but there is technology that can help do all of that. For example, blockchain. You yeah. know, there is a way that a brand now can implement that technology and get to a point and, you know, if we want to look 10 years ahead from today, I think it's going to be pretty much a standard where a customer goes into a store or get his or her product as a QC code on the, on the tag that they can scan and see the history of the product from the day that the seeds were planned to make that cotton. So there is this technology that, by the way, was was developed a few years ago. And, you know, before COVID, I worked with a company who tried to bring this into the surface and work with, with brands who do that. And they really found it really hard to convince brands to use that technology. Because as I said, from a brand's perspective, especially those who's been around for a while, it's almost like, uh-oh, I, I don't want anybody to know what's happening. <laughs> 
you know, behind here. That's, I want to keep it for myself. Um, but it's things that will start to happen. Just like you said, it's going to be part of a DNA of a brand. And I believe that, you know, if we want to talk about or, or really look into the advantages that smaller brands, younger brands nowadays have, is that they can and will, I believe they will, the majority of them, will start to implement the transparency and the technology and the ways of doing things uh, differently with sustainability in mind, with really caring for the environment, caring for the people in the supply chain. And it becomes part of the DNA of the brand. Whereas bigger brands, quite frankly, even if uh, genuinely they want to make these changes, these are big machines. They, it's going to take them years and years and years to change their supply chain and to shift it in that direction. So, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages. Um, I do believe that, like I said, 10 years from now, it's going to be standard, part of the DNA of every brand, part of the value of every brand. And I want to believe that customers would look at it and judge their brand based on the efforts that they're putting into this. Boaz, I have to say, we could go on and on uh, all afternoon. Um, but we really do need to wrap this conversation up. So that has been wonderfully insightful. And I, th I suppose the answer to the question, the short answer was, it's a catalyst of change. It's accelerated. It's accelerated these changes that you'd already spotted in the market. Uh, but the Very much. crisis has really accelerated it as a catalyst. So thank you I very would, much. I would even add it's a blessed uh, thing that happened. So um, we should all be in a much better place than where we were 18 months ago. <laughs> I've written down all sorts of quotes. Like it's, uh, you said blessed. You said it was a, a great reset button. And of course, we've had a very wide ranging conversation from uh, the difference between B2B and B2C. We've gone into sustainability, blockchain, we didn't mention AI, maybe maybe that could be for another conversation, but it's, it's very, very interesting indeed. So, um, terrific. Thanks very much for joining us, uh, Boaz. So, on that note, and to all of our listeners today, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, then please hit the subscribe button, uh, turn on your notifications and so you don't miss another episode. And if you can give us a five star review on however you do that, that'd be really tremendous. Uh, this episode will be published on the 9th of October. So if you are subscribed, um, you'll obviously you'll, you'll know that. Um, so look forward to seeing you. I hope you enjoy this episode and see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for watching Luxury Insider. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Like, comment, and share it with someone who'd find value in it too. Head on over to our website at www.inventlux.com to learn more, and we'll see you on the next episode.